This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, March 17th, year of our Lord, 2022, jam-packed, high atop, just a sea of green in downtown Nashville. We're one block away from Broadway. It is St. Patrick's Night. Do you have any idea what's going on just over there? If you don't know already, you probably don't want to know. But look, a lot of college football shows out there getting a little shook this time of year. March Madness knocking them off their production schedule. Couldn't be us. We already got knocked off our schedule due to technical issues, so we're certainly not canceling another show. And there will be a reward for you being tuned in tonight or tomorrow, whenever you choose to listen. Thank you for being here. Let me tell you what we're doing tonight. A little something different, but I think it's probably going to equate to a more jam-packed show than we even would have had with our normal format. You know how we do the Late Kick Extra podcast, which is all Q&A, and I can't ever get to all the questions? Well, we're going to use this, and we're going to get to a whole lot of them tonight. I think we have like eight or nine And uh, we're probably going to come very close to spanning the entire college football universe. We've got questions about pretty much everything tonight. I am uh, a little bit more excited even than I was when I pitched the concept earlier today, and I was already excited there. So we're going to go a long way around that old college football globe tonight. They're watching us in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They're watching us in uh, Jesse country, as we call it, Harrisburg, PA. You know where else they're watching us? In Kwantan, Malaysia. Our international audience never ceases to amaze me. And so uh, I'm going to give an international shout-out tonight, and we have like a stockpile of international shout-outs to give. At Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following on Twitter, Instagram. You're really going to want to do that tonight because I want to give you a word right now. The word is madness, okay? And some of you are tuned in live right now. I know a ton of you are going to watch this replay and listen to this replay, but we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament. We're not ignorant to that. This is what we call a P1 special. The diehard fans are going to show up either way. And you need to be rewarded for it. So I just want you to remember it. Treat it like a promo code, if you will. Just keep this word locked away. Madness. Probably not that hard to remember. Madness. You'll know why a little ways down the road. Just for now, all you need to know is uh, March 17th, madness. That's what I need you to remember. Okay, so uh, we've got so many questions teed up. I asked you to submit some this morning. Uh, So we got a combination of those and then some that have been left uh, over from other shows, and we took some that you guys submitted today, and we could do whole shows off of them, so we kicked them down the road a little bit. So if we don't get to the question tonight, it may not be because we ignored it or couldn't get to it. It may be that we're going to get to it, but that's enough of that. Let's tee it up. Let's have a little fun tonight. First question. By the way, for those unfamiliar, this is how the Late Kick Extra podcast sounds all the time. So if you haven't ever tried it out, here's a good idea of what you're missing. First question from our good friend, Grumpy Old Sarge. He said, exactly what would it take to get January 1st back to being the college football day? Even if it's just the semifinal games being on New Year's Day, how would we get it back to being as special as it once was? Sarge, this all comes down to personal preference and how you have chosen to calibrate your scale of enjoyment. So this past year, what did we have? We had, I think, New Year's Eve playoff games, and I was down at the Georgia-Michigan game in Miami. 
And let me tell you, I made it a point to catch a 6 a.m. flight out of Miami or Fort Lauderdale. I can't remember where I flew out of. The next morning, flew to Atlanta, drove down to Columbus to watch the New Year's Day games with my dad and my cousin. It's been a ritual. We've done it every year. And even though I'm in this business now and covering these games, if I'm free on New Year's Day, I try and make it a point to get back home. Well, the point is, I looked forward to that for weeks and weeks and weeks, knowing how the schedule was going to fall. And I got on that plane. I hate waking up early, but I got on that plane that morning and I was excited and took off, got to Atlanta, didn't even sleep, got in bed 3 a.m., didn't even sleep. Uh, and I say that to say it didn't mean any less to me. When I watch those New Year's Day games, and it's not just the Rose Bowl, but I love watching Capital One Bowl's always got a good Big Ten SEC matchup, ditto for the Outback Bowl. You, you got a lot of bowl games. Everyone knows how New Year's Day is structured. I, I don't know. I like maybe some of you feel different. I still look forward to that day the exact same, but I pinpointed the reason why. And it's because I don't let the casuals recalibrate my scale of enjoyment. That day still means the same to me as it always has. And, you know, I've, I actually go back now and I think about New Year's Day this past season, and I think about that Rose Bowl. And I think about Utah and Ohio State. And I think about that thing in the second half and how back and forth it was, and there goes the sunset, and there goes another touchdown, Ohio State is forging a big comeback on Utah. And I remember kind of being on social media as the game was going on, and you could pick the casuals out from a mile away. Normally you can regardless, but especially on that day. Because there's this group, you know them good and well, just like I do in our sport. Well, um, they're kind of watching our sport. They're not of our sport. But they almost root for meaningless bowl games because they've popularized that phrase. So they almost get mad when they look around and people are enjoying New Year's Day. Those are miserable people. Those are the old energy vampires. You don't want them in your life. You don't, want to hang out, you don't want to hang out around those folks at the office. You don't want to see them at the gym. Why should we ever include them in our college football conversation? They're free to watch the games just like anyone else, but wh why would you let negative Ned over here tell you, oh, it's New Year's Day games, they don't mean anything anymore. If it means something to you, Sarge, or I'm looking in the mirror, JP, if it means something to you, it means something to you. Well, it means something to me still. And watching that Utah-Ohio State game, it meant something to those guys. I didn't see any less than max effort being played with. So I, I don't think that we've, I don't think in my mind at least, we've eroded away at the integrity of New Year's Day. Now, the folks who argue on the other side, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about some of those games having opt-outs. I know what you mean. I wish that wasn't the case. It is. But as long as they're still, you know, putting on that uh, Arkansas helmet, Shout out number one for Arkansas on the show tonight, or that Wisconsin helmet. As long as I still see those jerseys and I still see that pageantry, it means the world to me. I love it. So, Sarge, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think every bit as highly of New Year's Day in college football now as I once did. And uh, they're not changing that for me. I hope they haven't changed it for you. Next up, you guys thought I was about to do something, but I didn't. We're switching some things up on the show tonight. Craig Rush asks, do you see Arkansas taking a step back record-wise this year? Uh, there are some harsh allegations that have floated around the 24-7 sports and late-kick offices lately, namely that I'm an Arkansas homer. And so Jesse and the crew, they have picked up on some anomalies and some trends in the shows. And it is that I am mentioning Arkansas disproportionate to other programs. And they are now accusing me, because of that trend, of favoring Arkansas, to which I plead pretty much guilty. I do like Arkansas. Didn't grow up there. We do have an Arkansas shout-out coming later. But, yeah, I like Arkansas, so sue me. Don't. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. But I am telling you, I got no problem with Arkansas, so maybe I do lean that way just a little bit. 
But taking a step back, what does that mean? That's the question here. Are they going to take a step back next year? Well, they went 9-4 and four this past year. Now, normally when people ask, is this team going to take a step back? It just flat out means, are they going to win less games than they did last year? Well, when you play in a volatile minefield of a division like Arkansas does in the SEC West, sometimes, believe it or not, you can end up having a worse record one year than you did another year, but have an equal production level, or maybe even a slightly better production level. Saying all that to say I'm not ready to give you a win-loss record prediction for Arkansas this coming year, but if you look at what they did last year, they opened against food, rule number one on this show, never lose to food. So they opened against Rice, they got it done against Rice. Then they thumped Texas, and that's really when they started popping a little bit on the national radar. Then a couple weeks later, they beat A&M. Then they really popped on everyone's national radar. But then when they lost to Georgia, everyone kind of said, okay, they weren't for real. And that crowd, by the way, the crowd that said Arkansas is not for real because they didn't beat the eventual national champion on the road in Athens is the same crowd who tells you those New Year's Day games are meaningless if they don't have playoff implications riding on them. Distance yourselves from those people. Because believe it or not, there is this middle ground. It's massive, actually. There's a middle ground between the playoff caliber teams and then the bad teams. And Arkansas was in that middle ground, as is a huge chunk of the sport any given year. Uh, Arkansas was actually probably higher up on the food chain in the middle ground than most programs were. Because then they lost to Ole Miss. It was that classic, I think that was that October 9th day where everything crazy popped off all over the place. They lost by a point there, and then they lost to Auburn. Uh, point being, they disappeared off everyone's radar, but then they rebounded and they won uh, one, two, three, five of their last six games, and then they won the bowl game, I think. So, yeah. They very well could take a step back. Uh, it, I think it's equal or maybe a little bit more likely that production-wise they're better this coming year. But if you just look ahead to their 2022 schedule, listen to this. Now, if you're listening on podcast and you can't see the graphic, they open against Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati's better than Rice. You know, so last year they opened with a much easier opponent. And then they jump right into conference play. They got South Carolina week two. They got A&M week four. They got Bama week five. Oh, and by the way, it's insane when you look at this. I know, look, there is no gimme win on this entire schedule. Their out-of-conference games are Cincinnati. Missouri State's the only gimme, okay? I'll give them that. Missouri State is the gimme there. That's the FCS game. But they've got Cincinnati, they go to Brigham Young, and they've got Liberty. Those are their out-of-conference games, on top of playing in the toughest division in America. And so you're telling me, well, the the question is not directed this way, but a lot of people would tell me if they don't win at least nine games, they didn't improve. Please, man, you could, you could reasonably play at a top 15 level and go eight and four against that schedule. In fact, in any given year, you may have four or five top 10 to top 15 caliber teams on that schedule, just the way it normally shakes out. So I, um, I think it's a lot more nuanced than that is what I'm trying to tell you. You've got to look a lot more intricately at Arkansas than just what the win-loss record ends up being. Because that is as brutal a schedule as you will ever draw. I mean, hats off to them for challenging themselves up there. But if any, if any time in history of this sport, there was a reason to just load up like a bakery on cupcake after cupcake in the out-of-conference, it would be in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And yet they don't do it. All right, uh, let's move on here. This is a really, really good one. I had to think for quite a while on this one today. So Sports Talk Paul asks, top three biggest games you wish you attended during the Renaissance Tour, which was this past year. For those new to the table, 
We were at a game every week. We got to choose. We're blessed enough to get to choose the game we go cover every week. And so some, some weeks it's easy. A lot of weeks it's harder. And remember that October 9th date. We were talking about it earlier today. We, you could see it coming a mile away. I mean, I think Colin and Jesse weren't even here yet. Colin and I, we did a show last summer where we had a graphic put together. And we were, we were asked, what's going to be the best Saturday of the fall? October 9th. And it ended up being that way. So I'm going to start with that October 9th date. So remember, I believe I would have been in Dallas at OU versus Texas that day. The same day that's happening, they had Penn State, Iowa. So that's the first one. I wish I would have been at Penn State, Iowa. That's when Penn State went into Iowa City. They were, Jesse, I think they were still undefeated. All your hopes and dreams in front of you. Then you got the injury at quarterback. A lot of people, myself included, happen to believe that had the injury not happened, Penn State may go on to win that game. Who knows how the rest of the season turns out. But anyway, that's, that's not football. That's not the way it happened. And then Iowa ends up winning the game, come from behind fashion, and the field gets stormed. And so I had been at the Red River Shootout earlier that day. Can't be in two places at once. But I really had no way I could have been at that game. There was another game I'm going to get to in a couple of minutes that I actually not only could have been at, I was credentialed to be at. So I just dropped the ball for all of us. But that game I could not have been at. I wish I could have experienced that. I got one that's way off the radar for you here that I really contemplated going to. It was October 20th. I bet you have no clue where I'm going. It was a Wednesday night game. Coastal Carolina, they had come off that miracle run the year before. And then Coastal Carolina was, they were ranked top 15. They were undefeated. App State came in town. Or uh, they went to App State, so it was in Boom. So I've never been to a game at App State. Always wanted to go there. Very picturesque. Looks like a screensaver. Their baseball field looks better than their football field. But Boone, North Carolina is nestled right in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and I've never been able to go. So I want to get up there. And I really thought about doing this, but it would have required me to leave here after a Tuesday show, go over there Wednesday, come back Wednesday night. It would have been tough. Anyway, so um, the regret is because Coastal got out to a 14-zip lead, and then App State comes all the way back, and they have a walk-off field goal, another field storming, and down goes Coastal from the ranks of the undefeated. This was a big deal. You know what I loved about it? It embodied really everything that's great about college football, especially those weeknight games, because a lot of times in the weeknight games, you are watching teams that probably don't have a shot at the playoff, but they know it ahead of time, which makes it all the more beautiful because they're not playing with this ridiculous, unattainable backdrop that some of these programs pretend like they should be playing in front of. Reality is most programs don't have what it takes to make the playoff. It's not a zero-sum thing. It's not like the NFL where if you don't make the playoff, you're a failure. College football, there should be a lot more tiers to what we view as success and entertaining and worthwhile. Anyway, that game was worthwhile. And if you didn't believe it, watch when that ball goes through the uprights and watch that field get stormed. So I wish I could have been at Coastal Carolina App State. But the number one just critical fumble of the Renaissance Tour in an otherwise very successful season for us was Alabama at Texas A&M. This was, was this the biggest upset of the year? I think all things considered, it was probably the biggest upset of the year. Easily one of, even if you were to try and, you know, be argumentative. If you rank the biggest upsets, this is easily top three. Bama had, all, they had already barely gotten by Florida on the road, and this was the next tough road game for them. And they go in there, it's the 8 o'clock Eastern primetime game on CBS, a company that I work for, which makes what I'm about to tell you all the more embarrassing. All the way back in the summer, we had done a segment on this very program, and I floated this idea to you. And I said, you know, I'm looking at the schedules, and I'm seeing that Red River is a noon kickoff on that day, 
And then Bama at A&M is an 8 p.m. game. And Dallas and College Station, not that far apart. So even when you factor in traffic, we were going to be able to get to the game. And then as time got closer and A&M faltered, I think they had already lost two games and the spreads like three touchdowns. I looked at it and I said, I have been at so many games featuring Alabama where it's, it's a snooze fest late in the third quarter because they've already body bagged someone. I don't want to end up getting home at like 4 a.m. because I stuck around and watched a game that ended up being a blowout. And so I went to Love Field in Dallas. I got on a plane and I was in the air watching as the clock hit zero and Seth Small with his wife screaming her head off in the front row hit the game winning field goal and A&M beats Alabama. How did you guys have that queued up and you didn't tell me? So there's Seth Small's wife. If you're listening on podcast, let me do my best to describe the action here. Uh, This lady is apoplectic in an outside her mind, but hopefully joyous fashion. And there is the game winner off the foot of Seth Small, just inside the left upright. She loses it, family loses it. And then about three, two, one second later, boom, she's over the wall, she gone, goodbye. Family stayed behind, she stormed the field. Everyone stormed the field. Well, I was on a Southwest flight somewhere over rural Arkansas, second Arkansas shout out of the show. And I was sitting next to a flight attendant who was deadheading her way to Nashville. That's, that's what they call it when you're not working the flight, you're just trying to get to another city. This lady knows next to nothing about college football. She admits this, but she's watching it on my TV screen in front of me. And this lady goes crazy. She just wants to see Alabama lose. Apparently, there are a lot of people out there that don't like Alabama. News to me. Anyway, um, apparently a lot of people on the flight were watching the game, unbeknownst to me, because when the game-winning field goal got hit, there were like 15 or 20 people that that exclaimed simultaneous, varying forms of uh, joyous celebration, and I'd never experienced that before. I told you guys after that. I, I shared that story, and I said, you know, most of the time, well, if Alabama loses, I'm normally there. Because if they've ever played someone that is within remote reach of them, it's a big enough game to where I'm there. Because I get to choose which game I go to. And I was credentialed to this game and missed it. That's my biggest regret of the year. But in turn, I was in a social setting. You want to call a flight a social setting. And I, I got to witness a plane go crazy at that game-winning field goal. So Penn State, Iowa, Coastal Carolina, App State, and Bama A&M, those are my three biggest regrets. And may we all learn from that in the yet-to-be-named 2022 college football tour coming up. Right now, we're in the spring, which Colin today wanted to call reconnaissance season instead of renaissance season, because right now, we're kind of just scoping the scene out. So uh, from, from me to you during reconnaissance season, I apologize for not making it to College Station that weekend. We will not let it happen again. You might notice it's, uh, what, 18 after if you're watching live. We have yet to do something, and that is remind you that part of your weekly routine has to be a visit to Academy Sports and Outdoors or academy.com. Now we got something that I'm supposed to do. Full disclosure, if if Nick's watching us right now, he's probably aggravated at me because I was supposed to send him a recorded ad read for the podcast network, (sighs) but I haven't done it yet. That's called procrastination. But what I'm thinking about doing, since I've already made it this far, is taking it to Sunday and maybe just recording the ad read live on air and letting you see how the sausage gets made, immunity. Uh, But in the meantime, I want to remind you, there's a lot of round ball being played on the TV right now, and a lot of you are probably going to fall under the misguided notion that you still got it, and you're going to get all worked up watching these basketball games, and you got a hoop hanging over the garage that hasn't been dusted off in like six months, 
Uh, look, I'm all for recreation. Just make sure you get your equipment at the right place. Academy, sports, and outdoors. I know a lot of rec leagues from T-ball to coach pitch to B-ball to A-ball to Babe Ruth and everything in between, whatever they call the leagues where you are. Baseball season in full swing, pun intended. Academy, sports, and outdoors is where you want to go. Anything essentially that you're doing in the outdoors, Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I got one more bit of probably great news, not just good news, before we dive back into the Q&A here. The other night, I was floored when one of you sent me a picture from Academy inside the store, and you were buying a tent, and you showed me the mini tents they had. Just little mini versions so you can know what you're buying. I just thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. I didn't know they had them. I had been in Academy, but I had not seen that because I had not purchased a tent from them. And so what I haven't told you yet that I did immediately after the show is I got in touch with Academy and said, I want tents. I want some mini tents. And they found us some, three, I think. So the tents are on their way. Somewhere between wherever the uh, distribution center is in Nashville are three little mini tents. I don't know where we're going to put them. We, we don't really have anything other than our, our thermi, which is the plural of thermos, on the desk right now. We have a, a chalice of supremacy, which is singular, so it's not chalai. Stars are just stars. We're going to have an Academy mini tent somewhere in here in the very near future. That I can virtually promise you. So looking forward to that. In the meantime, Academy.com if you can't get there in person. Academy Sports and Outdoors if you can. And uh, they will appreciate it, as will we, because they make this show possible free of charge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They are watching us tonight in Camilla, Georgia. Big tornado came through there in the late 90s. I still vividly remember that. Uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Third Arkansas shout out. Also tuned in. The other night, I'm just telling you, there's a little inside baseball going on there. The other night, Jesse told me, I'm going to start a counter. Every time you mention the state of Arkansas, I'm going to start a counter. Well, buddy, get your counter going. Because I'm not backing away from a challenge. I'll hit the Arkansas over every time. I got Arkansas going to the final four in my bracket, too. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, but let's get back to football. So this question is probably going to draw some, some ire from some of you, but I got my reasons just like you got your reasons. Colin, here's your end point. <laughs> Josh Pate's transit van asks the next question. There is a story behind this, which I will wrap it up with. But Josh Pate's transit van asks, since you travel a lot, what is the Mount Rushmore of road trip snacks? I have no way to answer this other than just the truth. I travel in a different way than most of you do, as I found out today. It used to be that I would go to a gas station, and I'm on the road a lot, obviously, in the fall, and I would, you know, stock up on the usuals, and I would just load myself up with sugar and, and butter and carbs and all the like, and I just feel gross afterwards, just woof. It took until like Wednesday of working out every day when I got back in town to feel normal again. So I said, something's got to be done. Well, normally that would just mean portion control for a, an average human being. Your boy's not average. So what I ended up doing, which I still do today, is I formed a new habit. Here's what it consists of. It's going to sound like a psychopath tendency, and it kind of is. Just bear with me. What I do, Josh Page Transit Van, is I take a bottle of Dasani, you know, um, whatever brand of water you want to drink, and I'll drink the water. 
down to a quarter full. So leave a quarter of the water that was in there in there. Then take two scoops of whey protein. I choose brand Optimum, but they don't sponsor the show, so that's the last time we'll mention them. Put two scoops in there, which equates to about 52 grams of protein. And then I will shake it up. And then I will fill the remainder of the bottle with cold brew coffee. And I'll fill it all the way up to the top, mix it again. And then you have a perfect mixture of hydration, water, caffeine, cold brew, and sustenance, protein, 52 grams of it which keeps you just full enough because it has a thick enough consistency to where you're not just drinking normal liquid. It actually sticks to your bones, as Meemaw would say a little bit, and it keeps you from not being hungry. You're not starving anymore. You're not full, but you're not starving anymore. If you can combine that with just some beef jerky or you know maybe the occasional little kid-sized bag of Cheez-Its, that can get me where I need to go. And I know a lot of you hate on this, but I'm told Dahmer, Bundy traveled the exact same way, so I'm not alone. A lot of people have done it before. I'm just the latest. Quarter of water, and then two scoops of whey, and then cold brew coffee. Mix it up. Call it a day. And, and you don't feel gross afterwards. Um, you may get looked at sideways if you share this story like I just did, but you don't get looked at as, as um, I used to because, man, those, those trail mix family bags that I would just, I would just pour in, um, I also frequented Wendy's, the triple, you know, not even, not even the junior. I'd get the triples. So something had to change. And this is discipline. It may sound crazy to you, but it's discipline to me. So th that's my road trip go-to. I, I advise it. You know, it does work. But that caffeine, because I drink multiples of these, that caffeine does kick in. Because you're getting the amount of protein per drink that you would in a normal meal. I mean, that's over 50 grams of protein. So you don't want to just down them like their, like their um, Pacific Cooler, you know, Capri Suns. But yeah, that's how I roll now. And when I drive home, it's about five hours. I do the same thing. I get home at 2 a.m. I've ingested like the equivalent of 400 milligrams of caffeine. Really, really easy and peaceful to go to sleep after that. Uh, I'm all out of sorts. So next up, I don't even know what order we're going in. This is a grab bag in the truest sense of the word here. Philo asks, what are the top five rivalries in college football. This one will be controversial, but I'm gonna start exactly where you think I'd start, but I've got different criteria for these sorts of things. So I care about what it means nationally. I care about how rabid and intense it is. I care about the ramifications. Does it mean something outside of just that rivalry, those two programs? But then there's also this other attachment that I have. I love the nuance. Sometimes you can't have both. Sometimes you can't have a big national rivalry and the nuance. And uh, I, I love trophies. Love them. So there's going to be a healthy mixture from that criteria in this top five. Number one, it's pretty obvious. It's Michigan, Ohio State. I grew up in the South. A lot of people would counter with what number two is, which is the Iron Bowl. The reason I always sided with Ohio State, Michigan is because I thought those are two national brands, whereas Bama versus Auburn is a national brand and a more regional brand. That's it. Iron Bowl's plenty intense. I've been to a number of them, uh, but I, I got to go to that game for the first time last year, and that's pretty intense, too. So the number two game, what, this 2010 footage we're showing, by the way. The late Philip Lutzenkirchen with the touchdown catch there. And then the kick six. Uh, so Iron Bowl, clearly number two. Man, this thing's really, really special, really unique. Someone asked me earlier today, it's going to be put in a future episode, what's the most impressive singular performance I've witnessed in person. It actually comes from this game. It comes from the Iron Bowl. But we're not going to talk about that tonight. But um, yeah, been to several of those. Always delivers. I mean, even this past year, 
when you expect a blowout. It always delivers. All right, the number three game I also got to experience for the first time this past year, and it was Texas-Oklahoma. Now, I'll be truthful with you. Before this past year, I did not rank this game as high, but it was out of ignorance. I had not experienced it before. When I went to the game, I got it. It just kind of, all the stuff I'd heard about the game that I used to think was hyperbole, it was real. It clicked. It helps that I saw an instant classic, highest scoring Red River shootout game in history. Uh, we, we have enough respect for the rivalry to call it by its real name, by the way. So OU Texas is my number three game. Now, I told you when I went there, it's a little bit different. They don't play Bama-Auburn at Legion Field anymore. They don't play Ohio State-Michigan at a neutral site. So this is a true neutral site game. It's like the Big 12's equivalent, for now the Big 12, of Georgia, Florida, and Jacksonville. Um, so it's a beautiful setting. Love it. Love everything about Red River Shootout. Speaking of which, the number four game is that Jacksonville special every year. It is Georgia. It is Florida. We'll call this one the cocktail party. Again, we don't care how sanitized it's become. Here at Pate State, we believe in tradition and we believe in calling your rivalry game what God intended the rivalry game to be called. In this case, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I never partake because I'm inside doing uh, the Lord's work and I'm doing work for you. You know, someone's got to go stand on the sidelines and watch these games. And so I will gladly bear that burden for you. This one's really intense, really intense, really chippy, really personal. Uh, a lot of these kids grew up across varying, well, across the two state lines. Border rivalries are always great, uh, but this one always has added, obviously, implications of the SEC East. Been to several of these, grew up watching it. So number four, Georgia, Florida. Now, insert a little bit of controversy. And this is personal preference, so deal with it. My number five rivalry game is Iowa, Minnesota. Floyd of Rosedale is my favorite trophy in college football. Nay, my favorite trophy in sports. It's just a pig to some of you, but it's the pig to me. Even better than Babe. Floyd of Rosedale, and because of Floyd of Rosedale being on the line, hanging in the balance, constitutes, look at him. He's so beautiful. Floyd of Rosedale is so great. Uh, this is my number five rivalry game. Uh, shout out to anyone out there who can secure us either a mini replica of Floyd of Rosedale or just a life-size Floyd of Rosedale. Because if you don't think I would bump that Academy mini tent for a Floyd of Rosedale, at least for a show, you're kidding yourself. Floyd of Ro Academy means a lot to me. So does Floyd of Rosedale. For a kid who grew up in Georgia, I think I may love Floyd of Rosedale more than any other citizen in the history of the Peach State. So there's the five there. Michigan, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama, OU, Texas, Florida, Georgia, and Iowa, Minnesota. Minnesota, for the record, leads that series 62 to 51 and 2. I believe there should be no ties. You can't cut Floyd in half. That would be called butchery. I believe that Floyd should go 100% to one side or the other. And that's my take on that. Next up, where are we headed? We are headed to Michael. Michael Gold asks, with Billy Napier, Mario Cristobal, and Mike Norvell running Florida, now the state of, it seems evident the recruiting script is going to flip at least to some degree. Which program from the state of Florida becomes the next college football playoff contender in the next two to five years? Could there be two teams from the state? Well, here's the direction I go, since there's not a whole lot of skill in forecasting this right now. You would think if you didn't know anything about recruiting, you just... You just watch the sport from like 500,000 feet. You just watched it from space. You would think Florida State's got to be the answer here just because their coaching staff's been there longer. You got brand new staffs in Coral Gables and Gainesville. That's actually not my answer. 
I think there's a huge wild card element with Florida State right now. You know, the goal, we talked about this the other night, the goal amongst the fan base right now is get us eight wins this year. How do we get to eight wins? Then we'll worry about the future once we can secure that eight-win threshold because that means if we get eight wins, we've played at a certain level, fill in the blanks. They've had to rely on the transfer portal heavily. They just they haven't had the classical reboot because things were a mess there. And like we've said many times, we credit Mike Norvell for being honest about how big a mess that he inherited. Well, we're talking about the future here. So is he going to get Florida State to a playoff caliber before Billy Napier does at Florida, before Mario Cristobal does at Miami? I'm not so sure of that, but I'm not taking an emphatic stance either way. This is spring. This is fence riding season. So I'm riding the fence. I think it's going to be either Florida State, Miami, or Florida. How's that? But in all seriousness, I just go where the recruiting wins take me. And so the recruiting wins, wins and wins, I guess, they take me a little bit more down towards Miami. It's not that I doubt Billy Napier and his staff are going to recruit at a, a reasonably high level, certainly better than the previous staff did because they're going to emphasize it more. They'll just be better at it. But I don't have any doubt about how Miami's going to recruit. None. I mean, one of the biggest shocks over the next five years in college football would be if Miami wasn't consistently cracking the top 10 or higher in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. And there will be a fixture in that. Now, look. I understand how this game works. I understand that acquiring the talent, or as we put it, going and getting the groceries, no, it doesn't automatically make the meal. But on the other side, we also understand no one ever made a meal with crap ingredients. And that's a really, really harsh way of saying what they've had there hasn't been good enough. Got to get better with better ingredients. They will get those better ingredients. And because of that, if you're asking me to choose from a group of relative unknowns in terms of their future, I think I would choose Miami. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it were Florida. I'd be more surprised if it were Florida State. Uh, but there's not a shock from any of these programs. I, I, have, I will reiterate, as I have a million times, this will just be a million and one, I will reiterate, if you're out there, uh, where do we want to put you tonight? Let's put you at Washington State. Let's say you're in Pullman, Washington. And you... You, know, you, you root for the Cougars, but also you're a college football fan. You don't want the same three or four programs with a death grip on the sport. This is where your attention needs to be. It needs to be with your program first and then the state of Florida. And to a lesser degree, I, I guess it would be counterintuitive for you to pull for Southern California. But if you want to pull for Texas, Texas A&M, and then the big three in Florida on the recruiting trail, it will behoove you if you want that imbalance at the top of the sport, if you want competitive balance at the top of the sport, rather, it will greatly behoove you to have a recruiting shift. That's, that's where it's at. I will sing that song until I'm blue in the face. The expansionist crowd's over here telling you the answer to solving the comp competitive imbalance equation is with expanding the playoff. It's garbage. That's not the way. The only way is if recruiting in Florida changes while recruiting in Texas changes while recruiting in Southern California changes. You do that, and it doesn't matter how big your playoff is or how small your playoff is, you will have a more competitive sport at the top. Never going to be where it's a wide open field where 30 teams could win at any given year. But there is a big difference in going into a season where three or four teams have a legit shot as opposed to 10 to 12 teams. Huge difference, monumental difference. Uh, your expansion playoff, that's not going to do that. But changing the recruiting dynamic is. And folks like Napier, Cristobal, Lincoln Riley, Mike Norvell, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, Jimbo Fisher, those are the guys who could get that done. Moving along, after I scratch my nose. 
Uh, next up is Hayden. He said, what do you think of the new sounding Brian Harson after his off season? And then he says, there is no off season with a winky emoji. Thank you there. I think Brian Harson needs to be front facing a whole lot more. I mentioned this last show. I want to say Brian Harson before they opened spring practice, he did a couple of shows. He did uh, Cole Kubelik and Greg McElroy's, McElroy show, which I was on this morning, by the way. And then he did uh, Next Round in Birmingham with Ryan Brown and Jim Dunaway and Lance Taylor and those guys. I'm on that show a lot. Good friends of the program, by the way. So give them a follow if you haven't already. He did both of those shows the other day. He did a few other media appearances. And what's funny is it's really the first time you've heard from him publicly since all this mess that happened around the program and kind of around him over the past month and a half. And the thing about it is, in the absence of you speaking out, other people speak for you. And oftentimes they're misrepresenting you. A lot of people misrepresented Brian Harson. Uh, we, you, you notice how we shied away from it on the show. I got accused of this, actually. We got accused of shying away from covering the Harson story. There was no shying away from it. There was nothing to be reported. And I told some of you that behind the scenes in a pretty emphatic manner, because you, you kind of wanted to come at me in a sarcastic way, there was nothing to report. And as you see it borne out now, there was never anything out there. And so Brian Harson, first time he speaks publicly, he addressed it head on the other day. He didn't shy away from any of that, but he said, you know, one of the hardest things to do was I was sitting around, we were on vacation, I come back and there's all these rumors floating around and you know they're not true, but yet you're really powerless to do anything about it. I mean, there's, there's a guy with an egg for his profile picture and 58 followers on Twitter, and he's saying something about you. What do you really do about it? Well, look, I'm, I'm not his legal representation. I'm not his agent. I'd tell him to talk more. He's not some recluse. You know, he doesn't sound like a hermit with a mic shoved in his face. Brian Harson, he, he represents himself in his program very well. And so I, I really thought it was refreshing when I heard the two interviews he did the other day. He's always welcome on this show. We were talking before the show. Should we try and get Brian Harson on? I think we will. Um, so I, I, that's the first thing I think. The second thing I think is I think it was uh, the next round guys asking Brian Harson the other day about what he knew of Jetgate. A lot of you who are Auburn fans know about Jetgate. Most national folks wouldn't. I asked Jesse today. I mean, what has Jesse heard of at this point? So Jesse had not heard of Jetgate. So gather around, kids. A little 45-second story for you here. Once upon a time, uh, there was a guy named Tommy, Tommy Tuberville. He was not in Congress. He was just a football coach. And he was the football coach at Auburn University. And in 2003, they didn't do as good as they wanted to do at Auburn. And some of the, shall we say, powers that be, who could afford private aviation, took that private aviation in the dead of night to Kentucky. And they wanted to meet with a guy by the name of Bobby Petrino, who had been an offensive coordinator at one time at Auburn, but was the current head coach at Louisville. And they just assumed, we'll take care of Tuberville, don't worry. Why wait until we fire him, though? Let's go ahead and hire his replacement. Bad news, kids. Word got out. And the thing about it is, if you're operating your fantasy football team, if you're playing Xbox, it doesn't really matter. There aren't protocols that you have to follow. But in the real world here, you can't just go flying to Kentucky and interviewing guys on a whim. You kind of have a set of procedures you have to follow. They didn't. Tuberville ends up staying at Auburn. And then there's a lot of support that he galvanizes amongst the community. Because it was a few acting, supposedly, on behalf of the many. And the many looked around and said, you ain't acting in my behalf. I kind of like the guy. 
Let's give him a shot. Let's root for him. Let's give him a chance. Let's get behind him, give him everything he needs. All they did the next year is go undefeated. And then they won the Sugar Bowl after they won the SEC championship. They got boxed out of the BCS championship game, didn't get a chance to play for it. But the point remains, there was drama. There was a scandal that was internal in the making. And as a result of it, it fell flat. And the head coach there benefited as a result of it. Brian Harson answered the questions about Jetgate the other day, exactly as he should. But that is what you're holding on to as hope. If you're an Auburn fan, if you're inside the program down there, it happened before. Could it happen again? I can assure you no one's going to expect anything of Auburn football this year. The, the fan base down there will probably have greatly tempered expectations. Nationally and, and regionally, no one will expect them to do much of anything. So what if, just for argument's sake, it's fun, it's spring, it's March, there's no harm in this. What if the people whose opinions matter the most aren't opposed to Brian Harson. They're not against him at all. They don't have this negative image of him like some powerful people down there do. What if the folks in that locker room, what if the administration, you know, what if the coaching staff, what if they got his back? What if he finally has the combination of people he needs in the program? And what if all of a sudden Auburn continues to trot out there as a seven to 14 point underdog this fall, and maybe it's turnover margin one week, maybe it's special teams play the next week, but they just keep bubble gumming and paper clipping wins together and all of a sudden it's Halloween and you're saying how in the world is Auburn still in the SEC Western Division race I mean they're about to enter a key stretch here it's this this actually could happen it happened before that's what you have to hope for if you're an Auburn fan right now so I say all that to say I still think there's a lot of the book of the Brian Harson era at Auburn that is yet to be written kind of like that Natasha Bedingfield song that we heard on TV earlier today. Next up, we have, I think this is, yeah, this is our last one. Really appreciate you guys being tuned in, by the way. I know there are distractions out there, but remember, you will be rewarded. If you've already forgotten that keyword, go back to the beginning of the episode. This is from Kirk. Kirk asks, are college football athletes on a path to dropping the educational aspect altogether? Once upon a time, the great philosopher of Columbus, Ohio fame, Cardell Jones said, and I quote, we ain't come here to play no school. At the time, he was chastised for it. And now we look at pictures of Bo Nix with Bojangles endorsements in front of us, and we ask, are these the same universes that we're talking about? Bryce Young got a number of endorsement deals. And so now this has led people to ask what is, at this point, a logical follow-up question. And that is, what is the end? Where are we headed? Where's all this going to end up? Because it's not just going to sit still. Like we're on a, a slippery slope. I think whether you like it or you don't like it, we're on a slippery slope right now. No one really has good traction. The sport doesn't have good traction right now. So where are we headed? Well, there are a lot of different schools of thought out there. I'm going to give you one to just ponder on right now. This is not going to happen overnight. You are probably not going to like it. I'm not crazy about it, but a lot of powerful people are talking about this and it hasn't really been talked about publicly a lot. There are some people that think we are headed towards a time in college football not too far down the road mind you where we have a true splitting it's a philosophical dividing of college football and universities and if you want to call them leagues call them leagues but there will be essentially two worlds that exist one of the worlds is one that maintains the academic attachment, the true student-athlete model, and the other 
acknowledges what it sees as an inevitability or a reality at that point and says, eh, some of them really didn't come here to play no school, did they? So you know what? Let's stop pretending. And also that group over there who wants essentially a semi-pro model, they're also going to look around and they're going to say, right now, this is chaos. Toothpaste is out of the tube. This is chaos. We can't go backwards. So what we have now is we have a mess of epic proportions with NIL. Uh, we have a mess of epic proportions with the transfer portal. Guys could leave whenever they want to. Uh, it's complete havoc on a roster management system. So since the reverse button doesn't work on this thing, that group's going to say, well, let's go down the road. Let's get it to the end of the road. We're headed there anyway. Let's get there. Let's get to where those guys can have employment status attached to them. And however we have to do that, we do it. But not only that, then they can collectively bargain. Uh, they have at their disposal now probably TV revenue distribution. A lot of things open up. A lot of possibilities open up. But here's what it coincides with. It coincides with being honest about what we're doing here and being honest about the fact that this is about football more than academics and we're not going to pretend like it's otherwise. Also, you got to keep in mind there's this pesky little thing standing in the way of a lot of this right now called Title IX. You want to know how you get away from that? You get away from it by not being attached to the university in an academic fashion at all. You're just a brand. You are licensing, essentially, the branding of that school at that point. So Florida State Seminole football, they may still play in Doak Walker Stadium. It may be on the campus down there in Tallahassee, but you may see a day where that running back isn't in class at all. He's not even enrolled at the university. But what he is, is he is employed, and what he is, is insured, and what he is, is he's getting a cut of that TV revenue, he's getting distribution through all sorts of different channels, still has his NIL, but what he has now is he has a contract, in turn, that he has signed, coming out of high school, goes wherever he goes, and you're not just gonna move around. And there's a lot more structure in NIL now. We can do it legislatively because we now are acknowledging that you are an employee. Well, here's the thing. There are going to be some programs that are willing to go down that road. There are going to be some conferences that are willing to go down that road. There are going to be others that aren't. So you could see a world 2025, 2030, 2035. I don't know when. I tell you, there are real people who have real power in this sport that think we're headed this way. You could see a world down the road where it's not so much there's the SEC, there's the Big 12, there's the Big 10. It could be there's the semi-pro version of college football and there's the classical version of college football over here. And there could be universities like Stanford that listen to that proposal and say, absolutely not. We are not even entertaining that. And there could be programs like South Carolina that says, you know what? Not only are we going to entertain it, we're going to be at the forefront of it. We're hopping in. Where do we sign? At that point, what does college football look like? Now, as you think about that, and how messy this is. Also remember, we have not, as a sport, decided on playoff structure in the future. Well, it stands to reason. Before you decide on playoff structure, don't you need to know what the structure of the sport's going to be? I mean, we're not signing a two or three year deal. It's going to be a long-term deal that we're talking about signing coming up. Now, when you want to know why everyone talks about what a headache this is, and you want to know why everyone talks about how many moving parts there are, these are the moving parts. It's, it's the stuff they tell you about whether the Rose Bowl will move or not, and the stuff about how many conferences are going to have auto bids. Those are surface-based. What I'm talking about are foundational changes 
These are like seismic changes that could be on the horizon as opposed to surface-based changes. So to answer the question, even though it brings me no joy, because I like the way the sport was when I was growing up, you know, grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Uh, yeah, I do think there is probably coming an era in the not too distant future where there is at least a portion of college football that's detached from the classic student athlete model. Yeah, hope, hope I'm wrong. So I'll leave it at that. I really appreciate you guys being tuned in tonight. Uh, wherever you are, remember that code word I gave you at the first of the show? Madness, madness, madness. Just keep it in your mind. I will give you a call to action one day, also in the not too distant future for that. Uh, for everyone watching and everyone that's gonna listen to the replay, this is the time of year where we really learn who our core audience is and we want to reward you accordingly. So thank you for being tuned in. For the production executives, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. We'll be back here same time Sunday night. Until then, God bless.